0: back to episode 13 of the Verde podcast. Every week we talk to local community leaders and entrepreneurs to understand the real story that doesn't make it to the spotlight, but is how actual businesses are actually built here in Chicago. Today we have Deborah, who is the sustainability specialist at Oakton Community College. Um, I'm particularly excited, although I tell everyone every week I'm very excited to interview <laughs> them, I'm particularly excited because I was just telling her uh, a sustainability role, uh, you know, a kind of trying to do good in the public sector is like, it was like, it's like a really interesting position to me and one that, um, I've often thought a lot about and, uh, would have loved to have had that position, you know, years ago. So it's, a it's, a I'm particularly personally very interested to to be with you today, Deborah.
1: Well, thanks. I'm excited to tell you all about what I do.
0: Good. Very <laughs> good. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, how and why you joined Oakton, And what motivated you to join the sustainability field in general?
1: Okay, so my background um, from the time I was in high school was actually focused on animals in the environment. So I initially thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I was one of those kids that volunteered at the local animal shelter, got an internship at my local vet office, and started working that route. But then somewhere around junior year in high school, I really started thinking more about zoos as a field to pursue. And so when I went into college, my goal was to become a zookeeper. And so I kept up some of that animal work and then got an internship at Brookfield Zoo, keeping for animals. And then that became a seasonal position.
0: And what do you, sorry, what, like what is that, what do you study to become a zookeeper? Is there like a program?
1: Um, Are they pretty
0: open to whoever? It's
1: pretty open. My background was in biology, so I majored in biological sciences for my bachelor degree and then did that extracurricular involvement working with animals. But I have zookeeper friends um, who have backgrounds in philosophy and psychology, Mm. who were lawyers, who were teachers. So there's lots of different ways to get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think most of us have a background in zoology, ecology, biology, or psych is a big one too because of animal training. Um, and then I really got interested into conservation as a whole and um, conservation education and training. So I did my master's degree at Columbia, New York in conservation biology. And I had spent some time there at the Central Park Zoo and the Bronx Zoo, so I got to work with animal observation and research, as well as public evaluation. So collecting surveys from guests about their experiences, and then taking that data and compiling it to make our experiences better. Mm. And from there, went back to Brookfield Zoo, where I did conservation leadership and training for the next seven and a half years. So working with outreach programs, during education, um, high school volunteer programs, the college internship program. Everything was built around getting people engaged with nature, helping them to build that relationship, and then going out and doing something to protect the natural world. So everything at the zoo is very focused on conservation action. What could each of us do to make a difference and improve the world around us? And that naturally led to my thoughts about sustainability. So we thought of it as conservation behavior, conservation action, it's the same thing. So it's what little things we can each do, as well as big things to make a difference with the products that we're using the ecosystems were impacting, and basically reducing our impact on the world. So when I had kids um, and realized that a full-time job was really demanding with a long commute and uh, wanting to be there with them, I started looking for opportunities that were part-time where I could still be invested in a career where I was making a difference that fit along my um, passions and Mm -hmm. pursuits but also allowed me to spend more time with my kids. And around the same time I started having these thoughts, this position at Oakton Community College opened up. So 2014, uh, this position was created, brand new. It was 20 hours a week, three miles from my home. And I was finally able to have a community impact in my own direct community and have broader um, reach of some of my interests and my skills in a way that I never had before. So, of course, I love that I'm still doing education mm-hmm. because it's a very big piece of me, but it lets me look at saving the world in a different way than I had been before. So, I think it was a natural fit um, and it really allowed me, again, to have that work-life balance that I really needed at the time and to grow in this position to the point where just the summer I became full-time. So, my kids are both in school full-time. I'm full-time. Um, it was all just meant to be, I yeah. suppose.
0: Yeah, it's hard to find work-life balance no matter what. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's it's, it's impo- almost like seemingly impossible. So yeah. it's it's cool to hear you found it.
1: Yeah, and it's really been exciting for me and with my kids. Like Everything that I'm doing is about behavior change here at the college, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about, and that can be so tricky. So having kids at home that I can help shape this conservation, sustainability ethic in that they just are used to recycling and composting and picking up trash when we go for walks um, is really meaningful to me.
0: I love when my th- I have a three year old and I love when like she throws something on the ground and I'm like, May, pick that up, we don't <laughs> litter, and she just looks at me like it doesn't make any sense why we wouldn't just litter and it's 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 an incredible like just like blank slate to kind of like really like influence your values on, which I guess sounds really it's kind scary of evil too. like when yeah. you say that, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's good. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's a big responsibility. And actually, one of my favorite stories with my kids is we took them to Sox Park to go see a game. And we were walking out afterwards through the parking lot. And my daughter, who was probably um, four at the time started trying to pick up all the broken glass in the parking lot from beer bottles that had been smashed. And I had to actively tell her, no, just leave it on yeah. the ground. And it was so against everything she felt like pulled to do. Yeah. So understanding that there's a time and a place to pick up trash in right. a four year old with broken beer bottles probably isn't the time. yes
0: yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. So, um, I, will I'll dive into some more questions, but, um, do you still... Are you still very involved in the zoo community? Like, it's very... Like, the, like now there's two things I'm really interested in. Like, the <laughs> sustainability, community college, and, like, a zoo community. Like, are there, like, zoo parties and, like, things like that?
1: Yeah, you know, I... I, the zoo is like a second home to me, and yeah. so I built a lot of really important friendships and professional relationships there. So even though some of my colleagues who I worked with have gone on to other zoos or other realms, we still do have this network. Yeah. Um, and I've got really close friends who are going to be a part of my life ...from that experience. So even though I don't um, go to like the Association of Zoos and Aquariums conferences anymore... ...or um, am involved day-to-day in volunteering or work tasks with them... ...we go often with my kids. We've got annual membership, so we hang out there and visit the zoo from a guest perspective. But then also... Um, when I'm involved in things like Chicago wilderness in the region or some nature education, nature play experiences as part of my role here at Oakden, I'm seeing my colleagues from that other world. And yeah. so we're still integrating. We still communicate about crossover and opportunities where our respective fields can align because there are a lot of them. I've been fortunate to um, lead a group of students from here at Oakton on a tour of Brookfield Zoo. So we went on a field trip and I got to talk to them about the conservation stories of the animals as well as um, career training for them if they were thinking about a path like this. Uh, I spend a lot of time kind of dispelling some myths about zoos, so I'm, of course, an advocate for a well-run and accredited zoo um, or aquarium, and I think they're really powerful tools for conservation, education, and awareness. I know that I personally wouldn't be in sustainability and wouldn't be making the life choices I did if it hadn't been for early introduction to animals at a zoo with my family. So I think they're really powerful if done correctly.
0: Yeah do you do you think that zoos uh, this is kind of a meta question I guess, but do you feel like zoos are fulfilling their kind of obligation to be leaders in the conservation space at this time in general?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you've seen zoos evolve now. Initially, when they started, it was menageries. It was rich people going out, flying to exotic places, taking animals, bringing them home, and then charging people to see them. And now we've evolved to conservation organizations. So there is no reputable accredited zoo that isn't spending most of their time and energy on telling conservation stories. You see it in the signage, you see it in the way that. They procure um, resources for the zo- for the zoos and the aquariums. Water conservation, um, their energy conservation. If you visit, we're fortunate here in the Chicago area to have so many accredited zoos um, and aquariums. Well, one aquarium, the Shedd Aquarium, does amazing work. Yeah. They're pushing, you know, uh, straw free initiative to encourage people to reduce their plastic consumption. Um, We've got so many good things that are being taught to people who may just be coming for a good time, may just be coming to see animals, but then they walk away with really important education. And... um, I think that that's important as well as the money that zoos are generating. If it's not going back to the animals and their care and to the people who care for them, it's going to field conservation organizations. So paying for researchers in the field, in these countries of these wild animals to help protect them, to create jobs, to raise awareness, and to do really important work in the field where it's most needed.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, um, it's good to know. Um, I think we don't, I mean as a novice to the zoo world like I don't know much about that like yeah. uh, it seems like a natural fit um, but I do know I mean I do, I think you and I talked about this recently about how the um the aquarium has like the first largest I think solar PV panel set up in Illinois and it's 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 a it's an investment that they chose to do for whatever reason but that like really resonated with me as a community member mm. so mm-hmm. um it's interesting to see how they they take initiatives like that that can really be leaders um, where we lack leaders in this space. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and you'll meet some of the most passionate people um, who are working at those organizations. Yeah. And they're doing it for the love of the animals, the love of the mission, and, again, educating the public and getting them engaged and involved. Yeah. So it was really wonderful, you know, working with the conservation leadership program at the time because I was able to take students who who were Interested and engaged but didn't know what to do with that interest and really watch them bud into educators and scientists and go on to their PhDs and be field researchers. And now I have this whole community of students that I worked with who are now out, like, actively saving the world yeah. because they decided to volunteer for the zoo one summer.
0: Do you have a personal favorite animal at the zoo?
1: Everyone asked me that. <laughs> you know, it changed every week. I... I love animals, so every day it's something new. Um, I learned a lot about echidnas when I was there, so that's the one I'll pick today. I don't
0: know what an echidna
1: is. Echidnas are an Australian animal, and they're egg-laying mammals, so they're really bizarre, and um, they've got these cute little noses and little spikes. But they're just, they're fascinating little creatures. And so you can go into, like, the Australia house, they have them. Oh, that's cool. And Is it
0: echidna or just kidna? It's
1: echidna. So echidna. E-C-H-I-D-N-A.
0: Oh, amazing. Okay.
1: And so those are fun little animals.
0: I have to tell my daughters about them tonight because yeah. I didn't know there was egg-laying mammals. They're like,
1: cute. Monotremes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Are there a lot of those? Is that... No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, go <laughs> uh, So tell me about some of your favorite parts about running... The initiatives that you do at Open, like what, what are you, what are some of like the most exciting parts, and just gives you like the most professional satisfaction?
1: Yeah, so I think there's twofold for me. One is, of course, engaging with the students. So again, at heart, I'm really an educator. I want to make those connections. And students who are here at this college, you know, phase of their lives are really eager for information and, again, ways that they can be involved. So when I can connect with students in a classroom or at an activity or they have a project that they want to initiate here on campus and I can help harness their ideas and actually give them a trajectory for them to pursue those thoughts and then actually turn it into reality, that's really powerful for me. So and since I'm not faculty, I don't have a chance to really teach students or be engaged with them on a daily basis. And I think it makes those times when I am able to do that more um, important because mm. they're, they're not as frequent. Um, and then the other piece is just seeing the changes that happen on campus as a result of what we're doing in sustainability. Like I said, I was um, part-time up until just this summer, and compiling my most recent sustainability report for the college, it was really impactful for me because on a day-to-day basis, I may not feel like I'm making much movement. Um, There's so many big things I want to make happen, and it's really hard. They can't be done in a day's time. So when I look back at that report and I see all the initiatives that we've been able to do with me being part-time and not a huge team of staff working together. It's very fulfilling to me to see how much can be done and then how much those projects can help benefit the students on campus or the community and what can grow from those.
0: Any individual project that stands out in your mind that you're kind of most particularly proud of?
1: Yeah, and it's one that I didn't even have much to do with. And so that's our water bottle ban on campus. Um, So in the spring of 2015, we had a group of students who were involved in an honors course and they were learning about all kinds of different um, social and environmental issues and injustices that that lay in those realms. And there was a group of students that decided that they wanted to pursue a water bottle ban on Oakton's campuses. So after learning about the environmental implications of bottling water in plastic and then what happens to those plastic bottles, about two-thirds don't ever even end up being recycled. They end up in the landfills or in our waterways and become a huge issue. Um, but then also the social piece of taking water from as a public resource from communities, privatizing it, and then selling it back to those same individuals, they learned about all of the, the cultural and social implications of that practice. So, you know, whether it be taking the water and draining aquifers or ruining um, agriculture for communities. Or just the price piece, the fact, again, they're taking it, f- something free, and then they're selling it back for $5 a bottle or yeah, $2 a bottle or whatever paid for it is. 30 years ago. Like, it's really, um, it really blew them away. And so the students started working on researching this um, issue and then presenting it to their peers. They would do tabling events and workshops and getting signatures from students. I think they collected over 1,500 signatures on a petition to ban the bottle. They presented that to um, faculty and staff, as well as our President's Council here on site. And our administration decided to support the students. So they said, we'll help you to keep this um, this issue alive and to ban bottled water. So the course itself was only a semester long, and what was really interesting was after that semester, the students started working with um, Students for Social Justice, which is one of our student groups on campus, and they kind of handed over the reins. And so that student club then carried the initiative through to its um, implementation. So I was involved just in supporting them and taking care of some of the logistics, working Mm -hmm. with our president um, and our facilities director to see what we needed to do to put this practice into place. So we were proactive and did a whole bunch of water testing because it was at the same time as the Flint water crisis was occurring. People were thinking more about water um, and was it safe to drink. So we were able to verify the safety and cleanliness of our drinking water on campus. We were able to get funds to put in more hydration stations, so the water bottle refills. We worked with o- Oakton Educational Foundation to get a grant to provide all students with a reusable uh, water bottle That's so that cool. they didn't have the excuse of not having a receptacle to put the water yeah. in. Um, and again, just supporting the students along that path. So on November 1st, 2016 is when Oakton officially stopped selling single-use plastic bottled water in the uh, cafeterias, in the vending machines, and in the bookstore. And now it's become a thing for our campus, like um, it's something notable. It was in the news. Other colleges know we aren't the first one to do it. Uh, We followed a lot of other colleges who had Loyola locally, um, connecting with students there and finding out what did you need to do to make this happen. We also did surveys for staff on campus to find out how they felt about the change, which was a challenge. Yeah. Uh, because there are some people who are very passionate about it and taking away like a right of theirs. Uh, so it became a really big advocacy project as well as awareness and communication piece. Um, lots of people thought about the recycling aspect. So they, you know, I, I buy my water, I recycle it. I'm good. I'm not the issue. Yeah. And we really needed to teach them about the social piece. Like where is that water coming from? And how much water are you using to make that bottle that you're putting it in? When we we're fortunate in this area to have clean drinking water. Yeah.
0: Well, the truck to transport it here, the truck to transport it away. You know, mm-hmm. like does it actually end up in the <laughs>
1: right. in the
0: recycling place it's supposed to? And Chicago is notorious for not being great about that. So Mm -hmm. um, it's getting better. It is getting better. It is getting better. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's been such a powerful experience for me. And again, if I had come into Oakton and said, we're going to ban water bottles, it never would have passed. But because it was student passion, student initiative, they did their homework, they did their research and they presented it well. They were supported. And that's something really powerful about Oakton, too. We're a small enough campus that if you do have a group of passionate students, you can enact really big change. And those students then can go on to their other colleges or universities or jobs and use some of those same skills they learned to make bigger changes.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's particularly, you know, that story is particularly relevant right now, especially with the, the student-driven, uh, uh, you know, gun violence legislation mm-hmm. that they're or, – or, policy agenda that they're asking for um and i i went i don't know about you i mean i, I this is not really relevant but i <laughs> i took my kids to the march this weekend like i thought i, I mean i personally am against you know i personally support gun right, rights legislation mm-hmm. I, I don't no, i'm sorry <laughs> I, i'm gonna edit that out i personally am against <laughs> any gun ownership i don't feel like it's really that's my personal. And that's my family's <laughs> agenda. But what I was so inspired about, I, I normally wouldn't go support that kind of thing. But what I was really inspired about was that the kid, like these kids, are organizing it. And the policies that we make are often based on fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm afraid for my safety of my house, and that this is something a 40 year old father like myself might have experience and do. But the policies that we make affect these kids for the next 60, 70 years. Yeah. And so it's really refreshing, kind of like that thought that my daughter looks at that trash and just doesn't really – like, these kids are very idealistic, and it's it's kind of refreshing to feel some idealism in this world. And it's exciting to see – I mean, I'm very optimistic that this activism of this age is going to continue because mm-hmm. while you certainly make a lot of mistakes and you're, you really do dumb things when you're that age, like, it's fun to have them directed at, like, idealistic things That because, for sure, environmental action is one of those topics that the things that we do today – these kids are going to have to deal with for 80 years. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think, you know, I was so fortunate to build such powerful relationships with teenagers um, when I was working in my previous position that anytime people around me would, would negate, gate the power of teenagers so you know oh they're entitled and they're lazy and they're this and they're that I had real stories of students to say no they're doing a lot more than a lot of us are yeah and so to me that teens are able to rise up and get this power is not surprising to me it reaffirms what I already knew from working with my students but it also I mean this is something we've seen throughout history like young people change the world and you know I spent some time Really, thinking about just all of the um, attention that's being drawn to these mass shootings, and reading a bunch of articles, and, and hearing people from our non white communities, particularly, talk about how gun violence. And environmental injustice has been affecting them for so long, but you don't hear it in the news, right? Yeah. You don't hear those stories. And debating on whether or not to join in this movement if it's not completely reflective of their own experiences. And it's been really promising to see so many backgrounds of students coming together and saying, yeah, because we all want the same thing. Um, and people forget that teenagers have been the one. They were protesting the Vietnam War. We, When we were integrating schools in the South, you know, the Little Rock Nine, they were... 14, you know, 15-year-olds that were subjected to awful experiences, but they made such a huge impact for future generations, and yet we're seeing how much still hasn't changed, right? How yeah. much work there is to do. Yeah. So I love seeing the power and the engagement around teens, um, young adults, youth, those who are just voting in this first election, yeah. and understanding the power that comes with that civic duty of choosing who's in office.
0: Yeah, and I think not just this next election, but the one two years after that's going to be really compelling because mm-hmm. those, you know, 16-year-olds are going to be able to vote at that point.
1: Right. So, and I think the the power, one of the things that I've been focusing on here, too, with community college is talking with students about it's more than just presidential elections. Yeah. You know, you voting for your um, school district board or your municipal water reclamation district commissioners, like all these different... Local opportunities for you to have an impact and say, like, who's going to speak your, vo- speak your voice or for you to run for one day. I've been really impressed with the number of students here at Oakton I've met who are interested in policy and potentially running for office one day. And so learning all they can about what they can do here to build upon their experience for their future. And I would love to have my, my future in the hands of some of these students that I'm yeah. working with.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess you've already talked about a big one, but what is your, um, what are some other creative ways you've seen students here push sustainability as a priority? Mm -hmm. Um, I know you, I know you have some experience with lead buildings on the, on campus. Um, I'm just curious what other, I I find it really compelling. You know, that I worked in public sector, uh, for about 10 years and I just felt wall after wall of like, you know, we're not going to do like. Like this, we could talk about it, but ultimately we're not going to do it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like Oakton has done a little more than the average group. So, I, I mean, what creative things have you seen that, that, that other people listening might be able to take away as, a, as a, an idea?
1: Right. So um, we do have one lead building on campus, and it was being erected as I was starting. So it's our new science and health career center. Um, And as the name implies, it's all of our science classes. So from biology to physics, chemistry, um, as well as all of our health careers. So physical therapy, we've got a phlebotomy lab. We have a half a floor, which is devoted to nursing. So a simulation hospital. Um, and so for all these students to come and go through that building and see the, the little signs about what sustainability efforts were incorporated into the creation of that space, again, it's, it's just that awareness that they become used to it as being part of their environment and that they're picking up some of those little things. So I think that's been fun to experience and to hear about the students who are in that building when I tell them I work in sustainability here. That one of the first things they'll say, oh, is I, I noticed those signs in the Lee Center, um, which is, a, you know, a little sense of pride for me. Yeah. Like, oh, I helped create those signs. <laughs> yeah. But even if they're only picking up one line of information or understanding yeah. how they're impacting the earth just by being in that building, um, I think that's powerful. But really, the biggest successes, again, we've seen is is students. If we can get students who are engaged and are excited channeling that passion and that energy into a project or an effort, that carries weight here. Um, So around when I was starting, there were a couple faculty who were engaged in creating an environmental studies concentration. We didn't have anything like that here, and so they took a sabbatical to go research what other colleges and universities were doing, how they wanted to shape it, what they wanted it to look like, and now we have this 19-hour, semester-hour um, program, so a concentration at a community college is kind of like a minor. You know, If you get an associate's degree, you can add this on by taking certain courses, basically. But the way that it's structured is that many of the courses are gen eds. So Composition 1 and um, Intro to Biology or Intro to Environmental Science. And so you can take your gen eds while getting credit for these ESC courses at the same time. And the other thing about it is that it's interdisciplinary. So as opposed to just an environmental sciences program where they're just getting the science and you're just getting those science-minded folks, mm-hmm. it's philosophy. And like I said, composition. It's literature. It's um Global Mythology, all these different courses um, that are getting students to think about the environment and sustainability and their role in the world from different viewpoints and building it together into this really nice cohesive program. So as they were working on developing that, I was working very closely with them to align what students were doing in the classroom with what changes could be done on campus. And there was such a support for the ESC um, of students and other faculty members getting engaged, that it helped bolster appreciation, I think, of the sustainability work I was doing on the operations and planning side. And similarly, when I'm doing actions in sustainability, whether it's putting in an electric vehicle charging station or trying to reduce our carbon footprint then I can reflect it back to the students. So we can bring those topics into the classroom. They could look at real data. They can be out on our natural grounds. We've got 147 acres here at the displays campus. That's where students can cage young oaks. They can go out and do biodiversity studies with our faculty. They can do a nature walk in their, you know, prose class and come back and write, um, write creatively about what they experienced out in nature. So we're able to tie so many different projects and efforts together with the number one reason we're all here which is to provide students an education. So um, that's been really important for us. And um, they received, the ESC received a National Endowment for the Humanities grant, very large grant uh, about a year ago, that has enabled them to really develop some of the coursework and create a field study course. So this summer, students will take a set, uh, 17 days and camp out to Yellowstone. Along the way, learning about plants and the humanities and nature and all these other awesome things so i think that that's been really encouraging and anytime we have a new class a new project students have ideas that they want to implement i have a group of students now involved in one of the courses who really want to push for more food waste reduction on campus so eliminating it at the source as well as composting Um, afterwards. And hopefully with their help, we can make it happen. Yeah. They give credence to what I do.
0: Well, I I think we, I mean, I like to think of everything in the, in the business sense, because that's what I I do (laughs) these days, unfortunately, but it seems to me that like ultimately the leadership and the management at the school must look at the students as customers essentially. And if the customer or the student is is requesting more environmental classes, then they're going to, it's going to speak to them more than probably anything else. Um, um, So that's, that's pretty cool. It's cool. Do you feel like there's kind of an uptick? I guess you've been here since 14. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, three or four years, but do you feel like there's a little more interest now than there was three or four years ago from student driven requests for sustainability? Or is it It's been consistent, but just more your ability to kind of corral that.
1: I think that's exactly at the latter point. So I think the interest has always been there, but there wasn't really a place to direct that interest. Mm. So we had a few faculty on site, particularly who were known for getting students to think about um, the environment and sustainability in their courses, and that were really powerful But the average student didn't didn't really have a chance to learn about what the college was doing or how they can provide input. So I think just building this small sustainability center here at the college and having me available to go to different activities and to talk with student groups has allowed them a place to voice what they'd like to see happen. So when we do big events like our Fall Fest, welcoming students at the beginning of the year, we have a table. You know, We can ask them for green suggestions. What do you want the school to do? What would you like to see more of? And the first year I was here, one of the big things was more waste bins, more recycling bins. So we did that. We changed the recycling bins that we had on site um, into these um, multiple streamed bins that were sometimes not all together. So you would find a paper bin or an aluminum bin, but you wouldn't find them all next to each other. And now we have nice single stream bins where waste and trash are connect or waste and recycling are connected and they make that choice, but it's always available to them. Hmm. And that as well as a few other initiatives, we saw an increase from 19.7% recycling up to uh, 36 point something recycling. Yeah. Um, in our a couple of years so students asked for it they wanted it and then they used it and so those opportunities where students can tell me what they're interested in I think are more available which means that they're being heard more and we can act on that
0: yeah well that's cool I I, I appreciate what you're doing and I think um you know I I think I forgot to mention this but I was a am uh, a proud alumni of uh Oakton I, my paramedic degree came through here so um So it makes me feel, I I never came on campus because we were through the hospital, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it gives me a little bit more pride in the, in that degree. So that's exciting. We love our alumni. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, so it's, it's been great to hear all your stories and I hope we can stay connected. And I hope that this kind of, you know, I know you mentioned that there's a huge network of, of similar professionals like you throughout, Mm -hmm. um, the Illinois Community College Network. So, and it sounds like you guys all kind of really help push and pull each other towards change, um. But I, there's a huge, I mean, as far as for community college students listening or, or that are, there's a huge job network in Illinois around mm-hmm. this topic. And, um, you know, we have 25 employees at my company, and one of the first things I look for on a resume is what do they study? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't rule out if somebody studied something else, if they're a good fit, but it definitely gets them the interview if they studied something. You know, one of the few that really studied, a you know, a degree in sustainability is very valued for a company like mine so
1: right which is always great to hear because of course I mean as a community college um, a lot of times we um, are faced with administrators that of course they want our students to either go on to a four-year degree or they want them to be able to get a job right after their degree and proving that green jobs are available and prevalent and growing in our area can be really tricky yeah because as you know it's often not going to be labeled like sustainability specialist yeah. on these positions. It'll yeah. be a, you know an engineer or a program manager yeah. or an account manager for a sustainable company. So we have a really hard time uh, occasionally convincing people that these efforts are worth it and that, yes, our students will be able to get a job. So I think when they hear individuals who have a business in the area that does employ students with these skills, you know, that's a, it ramps up the appreciation an extra
0: Little bit. Well, oh, very cool. Is good. Very cool. Well, thank you. Uh, I think this is a particularly interesting conversation topic. I enjoyed it. So
1: yeah, we went all over. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> we covered the basics from uh, what was the animal, the echidna, the echidna, the echidna, all look the way to uh, all the way to recycling uh, water bottles and uh, or or not. I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, thanks, Deborah. Thanks for being here, and I look forward to talking soon.
1: Thank you.